0: Welcome to Pew's Gap Fest, a chapter-by-chapter page-to-screen analysis of the Harry Potter series. I'm Sarah Day. I'm James. And I'm Meegs. And today we're analyzing chapter 17, The Man with Two Faces. And this is two hours and six minutes and 55 seconds through the end of the film. We are at the end of the book and we can't wait to dive in. But before we start gabbing, a little spoiler warning, because we will be using our vast knowledge of the wizarding world to compare the page to the screen, which means we may gab about moments that happen later in the books or films. I mean, we will gab about moments that happen later in the books or films. So you've been warned, Ickle before we begin though, we have an exciting announcement. We have created a Patreon. So if you love what we do here at Peace Gap Best and want to support us, we have several tiers. The first, of course, is Ickle Firsties at $2 a month, which will get you your name on the website, access to a private Discord server, polls that only the Patreons can answer. Early access to our episodes, a shout out on the episode when you join, and access to our video recordings so you get to see
1: all the uh, behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. You get to literally watch the magic happen. (laughs) Um, And then tier two, we have little squirts for $5.00. And you get the name on the website. Oh, you get all the previous um, things from tier one, um, including name on the website and uh, bonus episodes on in-depth discussions and monthly gatherings like hangouts, uh, game playing, watch alongs with the three of us. And you get to commission episodes. And just to
0: clear up um, one thing, the name on the website will be under the tier that you've joined. Correct.
2: Correct. Which leads us to the third and coveted final tier, mm-hmm. Peavey's pals, pals. Yeah, Peevesy pals. We so you're you be basically BFFs with Peeves uh, by only contributing twenty five dollars a month to uh, to to us and to Peeves and to everybody, but that. Isn't just, you know, because you want to or whatever. We will reward you with our name on the website as one of his pals. And then you will get to be a guest on an episode once a quarter uh, for uh, p- uh, pledging. I think that's the word for pledging that amount um, <coughs> going forward. But once you do, you will get a personalized invite to Peeves Gabfest Fest signed, by the hosts, uh, so that is Sarah Day, Meigs, and me, and of course, Peeves. And then you will you will be added to our weekly shout-out on the podcast. Um, every time the podcast uh, finishes, you will be mentioned on the end of each recording. So I think that's pretty awesome.
0: And we are really excited about the personalized invite to Peeves' Gap Fest. It's um, like a hard copy that you will receive in the mail. Um, of course, it's magical themed, um, sealed with wax. So <laughs> don't miss out on that
1: $25 a month. <laughs> I wish that you all could have heard how excited we all got when we <laughs> started talking about that idea.
2: <laughs> and it is way more official and exclusive than sl- the Slug Club. So, you know, we are so much better than right. they are.
0: <laughs> it's the inner circle. <laughs> um but let's dive into the episode now oh no actually first let's get some feedback james what do you have for us this week
2: i have some feedback from dm on facebook who says this is a in reference to the convo about ron picking up early on harry's personality change after the encounter with the mirror of Erised. I listened to the current podcast on Chapter 12. The discussion was in reference to the curiosity around Ron's out-of-character insightful observations on Harry's behavior changes. My Google finger isn't working, so I couldn't find the exact quote in a later book. But isn't it Ron who warns Harry about magical items of unknown origin in the Half-Blood Prince? It's in reference to The Diary. If Ron has had this warning from his parents his whole life, it's in his DNA now. So he instinctively knew it was questionable or dangerous business to mess with an object of unknown origin. I'll keep looking for the quote. Uh, I would have to say, yes, Deanne, that is a quote that does happen. Um, I think it is in reference to the book that he the potions book with all the scribblings on it and it's something that nobody like harry's like just obsessed with it but uh ron or someone mentions that you shouldn't is it jenny
0: yes because jenny is the one that gets possessed in book two
2: there you go so yeah so uh somebody does mention that but it does necessarily show that ron being raised would have that warning going going forward
1: all right uh meeks do you have any feedbacks for us i sure do um cameron on facebook said a thought occurred to me while listening to your most recent cast molly weasley appeared in all but one film the goblet of fire i was curious if she appeared in the book version so first of all cameron is one of our coveted movie watchers but not book readers and we love input from people who have watched the films and have not read the book. So we're getting all sorts of interesting commentary from Cameron on their experience with that. So love. And Cameron. this particular I- comment on Facebook
0: stirred up a lot of conversation, mm-hmm. which was really great. So um, yes. again, if you're listening, go
1: join the Facebook group so you can yeah. see
0: all these great posts.
1: And um, the answer is yes, Molly Weasley does appear in the book, Goblet of Fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's project yeah and out. she
0: has a very loving and emotional scene um in in the second half of the book um so it is. It's pretty unfortunate that we actually she has an emotional scene in the beginning of the book too. So it's really unfortunate that they cut Molly from the films. But yeah, again, you know the shows are going to be longer, and mm. hopefully we they better be we'll get to see all of these characters. I mean, don't even get me started on the fourth book and everything that was cut. <laughs> we'll we'll get to it in a in a year or so. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, boy, that's going to be fun.
1: No, but thank you for bringing that up because I it's one of those like there's so many things that are different, of course, about the adaptation, which is literally why we are doing this podcast in the first place. Well, we all we just like to talk about Harry Potter, but um, why we're doing this specific format for this podcast. And so there are so many things that like I love when people bring up, you know, kind of thoughts that pop into their head like this, especially people who don't have the book um, experience to know about or to kind of inform their opinions because it makes me remember like, oh yeah, she was cut from the movie. Like I just, I'm so used to what the movie is. There's so many
0: things that, um, as you know, I listen to the books to fall asleep. So I've like, they're ingrained in my mind, but then so are the films as a visual. So there's so many things that I swear are in the films because like, I can imagine it in my head because I've just combined the two together and then I'm rewatching the film and I'm like, wait, that was cut. That's, that's wild. So I just like to cut in
1: and say that you, as we all know, that you fall asleep to listening to the Harry Potter books famously, just how Margot Robbie does. I just want to make Mm -hmm. sure that we're, that we all know.
0: That if you're listening, Margot, I'm sure we'll be BFFs. So yeah.
1: have your people call my people. Yes. <laughs> have your Barbies call my Barbies. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Cameron. Diving
0: right into the chapter, we Stiving. discover that. What
1: did I say? I'm just being cheeky. Oh, like what you did said, you say? It sounded like you said stiving. Oh, oh I think
0: I was going to say so. Yeah, I, think
1: I so. Said
2: okay. <laughs> All right, so just
0: cut that part out. Okay. <clears throat> Diving right into the chapter, we discover that it is in fact not Snape that has coveted the Sorcerer Stone, but it, it is Professor Quirrell. Um, they have some discussion about the surprise that he's found that it's squirrel and that snape and he was like oh yeah you would think it was him wouldn't you and some more details i guess about the previous year but what did you guys first of all do you even remember the twist and did you expect it or do you remember how you felt about that twist
2: I loved the twist that I mean, Mm. let's be honest, everybody knows that I've been talking about this twist like a couple of times within the last couple of episodes, because you have like you have to be able to bring that back for first time viewers like you cannot, you cannot make it look like Quirrell and and not Snape. In the fir- when you're when it's the first time going through it, like it needs to be that experience because it's purposefully a t- plot twist. Like it is supposed mm-hmm. to be quarrel. We're supposed to have been misled to think that Snape's the villain because he's acting very villainous mm-hmm. towards the kids and all this other stuff. And so, I when I when I first found that out, I was just like appalled. I was like, what? <laughs> Like completely different demeanor. He wasn't stuttering or anything. Like he wasn't scared. Like he was just obviously the villain. And I was just like, "Oh my gosh!" And then like he just like he would listed all the stuff off because it was the book when it was the book when I first discovered it because my parents were reading it to me, but. I was just like it can't be him and just like what how is this possible but then it just made so much sense and I was just flipping out and you kiss you can't relive that moment ever 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 again like no matter how much you want to be able to you know that Snape is just going to be a crucial part now because you know the whole story and so you can't go back and relive that but I want to be able to relive that through my kids and I want my kids to go through that and say hey this guy was the bad guy the entire time. Like, whoa, what is this? And so uh, I, that's my, that, that was how I experienced it in the beginning. And I want that to continue to happen in this new TV show or, or something because um, it just wouldn't be fair.
0: It'll be interesting to see how they kind of recreate this um, and how they cater to both, movie and book readers and
1: the new fans that haven't seen the films or read the books yeah I I remember feeling same as you James I was like I loved that twist and it was so shocking um when I read it and I was just like um yeah I loved it I definitely did not expect that it would have been Quirrell uh so it was it was very fun I think it was like a perfectly written twist um for this book I think that you know, she J.K. Rowling did a good job of not leading the readers to believe that it was Quirrell. I think that as we are older, I think most people who are adults reading it would be able to tell that maybe it's not actually Snape because usually mm-hmm. that's what happens in like every story. The obvious ever. choice, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that uh, I think it was not very obvious that it was Quirrell. Um, so that was very, very, very fun for me to read at that age
2: as i was reading it this chapter and the last chapter put it together i kind of envisioned how i would want to to like see it play out in in the tv show and i just imagine like the end of the episode like the end of the second to last episode harry just walking through the fire going down the steps and then just going you and then it Mm -hmm. like cuts off yeah. Like maybe there's like a move it maybe like there's a movement of someone turning around to address Harry, but like we don't get to see anything or like no clues or anything. It's just yeah. he's surprised, so it's obviously like you you now just figured out that it's not who not Harry sweet. thought it was, but now who is it? And now it's just yeah. like now it's an, an entire week, <laughs> <laughs> an entire week of waiting, and you're just like, ah, oh, who is it? And just the next episode, it just shows a quarrel, we- and this would be so cool, but.
0: That's what I love about uh, – well, that's what I love about the fact that it's going to be on Max because they do release it weekly as opposed to some other platforms that release all of it at once. And we are going to be able to have a week in between each episode to have that – what's it called? Water jug banter? Water
1: – Water
0: cooler. Water cooler, cooler. banter. Yeah.
2: <laughs> water, um, water cooler gossip.
0: You mentioned, James, that you were excited to see how it plays out um, and how they kind of made the differences between the show and the movie. And one thing I noticed about the film and that I kind of don't really want to see in the show, and I don't know if you guys noticed this, but Quirrell has such long
1: fingernails and it was so distracting. (laughs) They were like (laughs) talons. I don't think I noticed that, which is actually surprising to me because I'm like a big hand person, and I feel like I notice <laughs> people's hands a lot and finger, like the I never noticed thing. that. So I'm actually surprised that I, but you know what? I haven't watched the movie like on a big TV screen in a long time. I oh, like right. just on my phone, mm. like on the little screen. So uh, maybe that's why, but. Now that's all no. I'm going to be thinking about next time I see. Well, him. let me ask you this that's then, because you're a know, hand person. Because
0: this is the other thing I noticed was when he, uh, Voldemort, says, um, "Like use the boy," and Quirrell goes, "Potter, come here!" And he oh, wait,
1: point hand out. Yes. No, I know exactly what. Now that you just you pointed, audience, <laughs> listeners, Sarah Day has been making the pointing. Now that you did this, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly what his fingernails look like. I know, and it was so that first of all, the
0: fingernails were really weird, and then secondly, that whole scene—I just felt like it was a little over dramatic, which I think we've talked about before, um, compared to the pages. So I just—I'm—I'm I'm excited to see how this. I feel like he's just m- more calmly, not calmly speaking to him, but more even tones. Yes, um, I would agree with. And that. when he asks him to bring the boy
1: over, I feel like he would just be like come here like just it was just so dramatic <laughs> it, they did make it very dramatic so that it was like a dramatic moment in a film and I roll my eyes at that every time because I'm like if I know that you're trying to make me right the drama then I'm not going to feel the drama and I'm going to be annoyed by it um, so I
2: agree.
1: <laughs> also I'm sorry I have to go back to the fingernail thing this has happened multiple times in the Harry Potter films where I feel like the fingernails are unnecessary <laughs> and with Dumbledore, pretty sure it was just Sirius Black give him a pass because of the whole prison thing but I feel like this has happened a lot and so I can't wait to continue doing this podcast and to continue watching the films with you two the and hands. to overanalyze <laughs> what the hands and fingernail situation is like for all of these characters because I do think that it's like a thing that they they made a choice for these <laughs> to include a lot of fingernail display And I just can't wait to keep revisiting this. I'm glad that you're bringing it up now in the first film. (laughs) Well, I mean, the very
0: last section of the film is when I noticed. But yeah, go ahead, James.
2: Can I just bring up the fact that Voldemort in the books is got red eyes, slits for nose and stuff. But in the movie, they just put a face. (laughs) This is like... Yeah. You guys make him that way in book number four. Like, where's the continuity in this? Like, what the crap? Yeah. I think
1: mm. I think we all.
0: Probably That's have something a lot I to wrote say. down. Well, it's actually never. Um. Well, okay. Um. Yes, the continuity and the consistency. We've mentioned consistency over and over again that it's going to be made from, you know, the same showrunners and producers and stuff throughout the. The series so more of this kind of stuff is going to be consistent the the sets are going to be consistent the idea of what Voldemort looks like will also be consistent hopefully
2: like really you just you gave him a nose for one movie no wonder he's so (laughs) upset he lost his nose like why why wouldn't he be upset goodness Anyways, I noticed that the book said that, and I was just like, but that's how he is in the other movies. How is he not that way in this movie? And that was just, I don't know, disappointing. It'll be
0: interesting to see if they do give him the red eyes this time around, too, though.
2: The red eyes would be scary.
0: Yeah. Well, and again, that's why I'm happy that it's going to be on Max, because it's such a more (laughs) mature platform.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm Hmm. Intriguing. Anyways, oh, by the way, I'm going to do a lot of backtracking on some stuff that we talked about in the past to also address that got addressed in this chapter. For example, back in the Nicholas Famel chapter, I was like, wasn't it Voldemort drinking the unicorn's blood? And somebody else was like, it was a quarrel. And so it's like that was a question in mind, but it gets answered in this chapter because Voldemort says he had Coral drink the blood for him, and so I was like, "Oh, well, there you go. That answers my question." He just right, Coral ten walks to Hufflepuff. a little Hufflepuff. weird.
0: Half Oh, I believe I'm the one that says yeah. it was Coral. Yeah. You're right.
2: Yeah, Sarah. I Sarah ten it was. To I, it, it I'm was at Saturday. twenty
0: points. Woo <laughs> And you guys are at like probably 120. <laughs> no, I don't think that we have we done that well we haven't officially awarded you any points we did still, but one I giving we, we out, did
2: so. one episode one episode we were giving points between me and sarah day and that <laughs> was just we, the one episode we ever mentioned it
1: should we yeah we should it? start keeping track <laughs> well, we should we could do that or should we make that part of our patreon is that somebody gets dubbed the person who keeps track of keeps all track of our, our points, points. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That would be funny. And then someone wins work. a house cup at the end <laughs> yeah. of the each book.
0: Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, I'm at 20s and it's the end of the book. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: uh, anyways, I thought I would just oh bring gosh. that up because oh, no. I answered one of my questions and I was just like, oh, look at that. So,
0: I was going to say we could give like our patrons that are our houses, um, like if we win at the end of the book. Wo- book all the Hufflepuffs could get a little trophy but
1: that's not really fair to Gryffindors or Slytherins so we shouldn't well, do that <laughs> we don't have any Slytherins who are listening probably and then I said that I can be the I can be the like Gryffindor representative for this purpose <laughs> okay Slytherins if you're out there and listening let us know because we just I mean does do people get sorted into Slytherin really yeah they do oh my yeah, God. All it's not all the time. a bad
0: house it's a really bad house. I'm it's just kidding. a bad house from I'm Harry's perspective, which is joking. where the books are written. We're, we're I mean, going to get a lot of Slytherin listeners. I don't know if we're we're going to
2: get a lot of hate mail from Slytherins now.
0: First, Mace calls our bad listeners out. And then she says, we don't want Slytherin <laughs> listeners.
1: <laughs> if we don't want like them. We just have never met one. <laughs> Okay, Slytherins, <laughs>
0: up because I don't know you exist. Slytherins, and... were you the ones that were in detention oh, in yeah. high school? Ooh.
1: ooh Let us okay. Know. okay, so we just need all many thousands of our listeners to write in and tell us how often that they were in detention and stuff. And then I'll put together a study a and do some statistics. I love making graphs and stuff. So, please. I uh, know a
2: few Slytherins.
1: You know, like for real?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like they I were sort of in Slytherins. <laughs> I, I know a few one. of them.
1: I've never met one. Now I'm kind of jealous. Should well, Slytherin.
2: Slytherin. Slytherin's... Join the
0: Facebook group and introduce and yourselves to Meeks. To
2: Meeks, yes. <laughs> Meeks <laughs> needs a few Slytherin friends. Come I think on. I
1: need to take three points away from Gryffindor for being a brat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very on brand for Gryffindor.
0: (laughs) Well, do you guys have any other thoughts? Getting back on track here about this section um, with, you know, Harry fighting, um, getting the stone, fighting, like, uh, burning Quirrell and Voldemort disappearing again.
2: Yeah. So I, I was very, I was a little underwhelmed with how the conflict happened in the book. And I was a little bit more excited with what happened in the movie, which is very weird and off-brand for me because I really like, like what's happening in the book. But as I compared the two, I really do like the additions the director and the actors added, especially some of the lines that don't exist in the book because it, Voldemort's really tempting Harry in the movie about possibly joining his side. And I really feel like, That was a way more like victory for Harry to say no to compared to it. Kind of happened in the book, and you're kind of just like he's trying to, but what is what is his argument to be to have Harry be have Harry be a little scaredy follower like Quirrell? Like that's not at all what Harry's all about, and he knows it. Whereas in the movie, he's offering a chance to get revenge on his parents and, and power and all this other stuff. And it's just, it's a lot more enticing of an argument to join him. And it's a lot more like exciting for him to stand up and say no to compared to the book where it was kind of just like, are you calling me a whiny little brat? Like, no, I'm not going to join you. Like my, like, I'm not going to ruin my parents' death for that. So I, I think the, I think That conversation was, I wouldn't say like, like made better, but it definitely was highlighted and more accentuated in the movie to a point where I enjoy it a little bit more than I did the book. The book is fine, like it's still there, but there's just a few, there's a few things there that I was kind of just unsatisfied this read through with that with that conversation between Harry and Voldemort.
1: Yeah, it is really interesting you know watching the movie the movie makes it so much more dramatic and i agree that i think that there are certain parts of the dialogue and that whole scene that are like way over dramatized and then there are parts where i think that they did a good job of making it less underwhelming because when you when you do read the book it's a lot that whole scene is a lot calmer and then you watch the movie and it's like way different and so there are Mm -hmm. certain things i'm okay with with the adaptation and then certain things that i feel like are dramatic, but it is really interesting it's got like whiplash kind of like reading it and watching the film mm-hmm. right, right next to yeah. each other because yeah. they do feel really different um i did i don't remember or like i always i, I should say i always forget um in between readings how much quarrel was actually being really like um mean to potter because I feel like in the movie, it was more focused on, it seemed like Quirrell was just more wrapped up in like his experience with Voldemort and that it was kind of more about that. In the book, for me, I felt like it was, like Quirrell was like, like did not like Potter. It was like he was actually against Potter. And I'm curious about how much of that actually comes from Quirrell and how much of that comes from Voldemort influencing Quirrell into hating Harry more than he normally would have.
2: Because their souls are combined and so Harry Voldemort's influence is
1: pretty yeah, well, strong.
2: It's a good point.
1: Um, like he says, you're too nosy to live, Potter. Like that's a pretty like cutting remark to make to somebody. Um, and a pretty personal remark, you know.
0: It's, and that's definitely something that you would have no question if it was Voldemort saying that.
1: Right, and so it just
0: seems Mm,
2: like... Maybe this is something that this is... Like, this is an additional thing that the the TV show can add on because in the movie and in the book, we don't get a lot of interactions between Coral and Harry. So it'd be very interesting to have a little bit more of those interactions where they're personally talking to each other and maybe see some of that, like, personal demise. But it's, like, hidden under the context of, like, oh, like, just don't mind me, I'm stuttering Professor Quarrel. Right.
1: Well, maybe that's it would... why... It... Oh, sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off.
2: No, I'm just saying it just would be an interesting contrast to kind of maybe delve into that relationship a little bit deeper to kind of give that hidden meaning that he really just doesn't like Harry.
1: Well, and I feel like it, part of the reason why it does feel so intense how he's like saying these personal things to Harry is because him and Harry don't really have that much interaction. He seems really, like, kind and neutral. Obviously, he was putting on a front this whole time. Like, we know why he was like that. But it's not like him and Quirrell are, like... They do have a lot of interaction. So, I I don't know. It just seems kind of... It's like it's misplaced, which makes sense because he literally has Voldemort living out of his skull. So, obviously, (laughs) everything's going to be different and misplaced and stuff. But anyways, I just this time around reading it, I was like, oh, that is actually, he is really, like, really cutting deep to Harry, particularly. So, anyways, I feel like that's, you know, he's probably being a little bit influenced by Voldemort. Um, I also thought it was quick thinking on Harry's part, particularly as an 11-year-old, to, in his internal monologue, uh, he says all Harry could think of was, um, all Harry could think of doing was to keep Quirrell talking. Like, he knew that, you know he needed to try to keep him distracted and yeah. stuff. so i thought that that was harry's smart on the battlefield um okay and then another thing i thought was interesting and so if i just got this wrong um please correct me everybody but Quirrell says he is a great wizard talking about voldemort and i am weak do we find out at some point that why Quirrell is weak like i feel like that's a telling that's that's a telling sentence to say. I think it's more of just that he
0: sees Voldemort as like a godlike figure and he's just a mere mortal.
2: Yeah. I think it's in reference to just how Coral growing up. Uh, Cause if you go onto like Pottermore and, and read like his biography and stuff like growing up, he was always just, he, he wasn't that like, he didn't have like a big presence. He wasn't that, um, great in a lot of people's eyes he just had his his mind and he was just a peaceful little Ravenclaw but he he ended up coveting that that power and he just meets this guy who defeated death almost basically because he's still alive just in a different type of form but basically he's like I have sub- superseded death now you're gonna help me get my body back and like all this other stuff and so like part of it to me is Voldemort influencing him and saying he's weak but it's also just the mindset of Quirrell. Quirrell is just never <clears throat> think of Quirrell as like Neville except Coral mm. never got to have the opportunity to have good things happen to him like Neville did.
1: I, I do think that um, that's a good point about um, Voldemort influencing him like when you're in like people who are in a cult for example like they believe what is being told to them because you know and it's like a whole it's a very psychological thing where they they're just kind of follow along with what the leaders are telling them and they don't even realize that they're being brainwashed and stuff and so I I think that that's a great point that uh, Quirrell probably is being a little bit brainwashed by Voldemort Literally. because yeah. um, he's
2: good at it. Like Voldemort's yeah. really good at brainwashing. Yeah. That's just one of his that's how he gets yeah. followers.
1: Yeah. Huh, that's how he got the power the first time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also I wanna see in the uh in the show. So Voldemort says I killed your father first, and he's he talks briefly about how that, you know, awful scene happened. And that's not in the film. And they don't talk about it that, I mean, you see it like once in the later films when they st- or not really the later films, when they start to show Voldemort killing James and then, sorry, James, mm-hmm. and then Lily. <laughs> um, you know, we like start to kind of see it, but I, I feel like, like, that's a big deal for Harry to, he knows hardly anything hear about that. his parents. And then to hear that. Yeah. And so I want to see that. I don't want to see that explored, but you know what I mean. We're like, right, that, right. That's a big, heavy thing. Just like here. a
0: reaction from him to hear that those yes. words from yeah. the person yeah. that
2: killed his parents.
0: Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh! Yes. Like all everybody else,
2: everybody else was kind of like tiptoeing around the subject because they didn't want right. to like let load unload this heavy thing on them.
0: And then he says, "Your mother didn't have to die," which we've he- heard. In later books as well. And so again, just to hear that kind of ooh yeah, emotional like um warfare. Yeah, exactly.
2: Cause Voldemort knows how to manipulate feelings. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
0: There's a lot of dialogue that is cut from this chapter, um, in the scene, like we're saying, and then in the next one as well, um, which we can get into if you guys are ready.
2: I just wanted to make one last note. We do see Voldemort kill James first in the movie with the Sorcerer's Stone.
1: Oh, that's right. Okay.
2: uh He goes in, breaks through the door, kills James. It's like a green light, and then he goes mm-hmm. up to see Molly. I think it's when Hagrid's describing in the, beginning,
0: the beginning, right? Oh, right. Yeah, the right. event. That was to a Harry. Few weeks ago in our discussion. We've forgotten. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. So
2: it's when Hagrid's describing it to Harry in the leaky cauldron after but Diagon Alley
1: does, does Hagrid know that like how that
2: happened no but it was fi- It was. he didn't explain that to yeah, him like word for word but like, it was filmed that way to show see, it we, so way.
1: we see
0: it but Harry still doesn't understand yeah. that James was killed first so this right. is still fresh information to him yeah.
2: which doesn't get shared in the movie like, mm-hmm. be sharing the
0: show. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's just all kinds of swept, flipped, swish, swashed.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, exactly. That's exactly what it is. But <laughs> moving on.
0: <laughs> yes. So the dialogue between, so Harry wakes up in the hospital wing um, and the dialogue between Dumbledore and Harry is cut a lot. And I was really bummed because um, I actually watched the clip Uh, today before reading the book usually i read the book and then watch the clip and listening to the chapter i was bummed that we didn't hear dumbledore talk about how um he wants to tell harry everything but now is not the time and he'll answer his questions and like if he can but he and then the very first question he's like oh can't answer that one and we know you know that he doesn't get those answers until books five um so to see that played out right here right now is just a bummer that we don't see that in the film and I really hope that we get this conversation in the show because it just lays so much groundwork for what happens in the future books and story um and we you know he comes back and he's like you said you one day you would tell me everything and like come on like I'm 15 now um so to see that start here and to um you know be rewarded again in a few books
2: well and it's just a lot more personable like the interaction between i mean the movie did a really good job of explaining things to the audience and being able to like say exposition part a and exposition part b like that flows out really well but when you go in and you see the relationship the relationship isn't this old professor and a student kind of relationship. Like you, like the vibe Gibbs of the movie, it's more of like a friend and friend talking to each other, but the friend yeah. is older and wiser and knows mm-hmm. things that are going to harm the, the little one. So he's like, yeah, I'm, I will not lie to you because we have that type of relationship, but I'm not going to tell you things that you aren't ready for. Like, I know how old you are, and I know that you're not ready for some of this information. So I will just flat out write and tell you, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, Which is like a very honest and open position for a man that we know holds a lot of secrets. Like, Dumbledore is just full of them. But, like, he's just being very open and honest to a boy, 11-year-old boy who just did what he did. And has questions about it. And it's just like. Yeah. you. Oh yeah. I gave you the invisibility cloak. That was me. I had it. <laughs> it's like okay. <laughs> but like it's just you, you wish you had that a little bit more. In the film is just that little personal experience between the characters. Because that was a very personal talk between the two of them. Because of just how much Dumbledore knows.
1: Yeah, I mean, agreed on all of that. I feel like it's reminiscent of the Mirror of Erised um, uh, adaptation where the conversation with Dumbledore in the film was just kind of, like, just flat compared to how impactful and mentor-mentee it was in the book, you know? Yeah. And I had the same feelings when I was reading this and then watched the film version it's like it wasn't it's not bad you know i i you know i but
2: it doesn't give that wrapped up feeling that you get when watching or when reading the book like it wraps up a couple of things you you learn a little bit more about harry's past and like what's like what he's gone through and and just just how much thought process went into The events that led him up to this point like we he learns a little bit about his mother's love and he learns he he gets there's a line that says he took a second to wipe tears off of his face like this this conversation impacted harry to tears yeah like you don't get that same feeling when when you're talking when you're seeing it in the movie and that's a an extreme difference like the movie did great in doing what it was supposed to do. And it's a great film. And it has one of my favorite lines ever mm-hmm. in, in, you know, naturally, the whole school knows. <laughs> uh, like, that's my favorite line. And I love it. And I lo- that's a great scene for me. But when you compare it to the emotional impact that Harry is getting from Dumbledore in the book, it you just it's it pales in comparison. Because that emotional impact is for an 11-year-old boy is huge. And Dumbledore is craftingly using his words in a way to make it so that Harry can understand what he is saying. But also not overload him with so much information that it just breaks Harry's mind. And it's just... It shows the wisdom and it shows the kindness and it shows just the, the gentle loving compassion that Dumbledore has for Harry. And that's just not there. Sorry movie. Mm -hmm. It's I love you. It's just not there when you watch it. And in order for this season, uh, this for the TV show to have a season and it ends to perfect, like to perfectly end it needs to be there. Yeah, like this last episode needs to hit it out of the park. This is a, this the conversation with Dumbledore and the House Cup thing and all this other stuff does cannot be a 10 minute little thing after you've had 30 minutes with Voldemort and Quirrell. Like, no, it, Voldemort and Quirrell is act one. Dumbledore and Harry's conversation is act two. House Cup and them going home is act three. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the episode structure. You cannot shorten this to elongate draw like, like you can't each act has to have its own set of time in order for this to be a fulfilling episode and an end to the book itself and, and the story itself
1: one of the things that i i thought was um profound and i don't know how much they would do with this in the show necessarily um but when when Dumbledore's talking about so Harry asks about Snape disliking him because he didn't like Harry's father um and Dumbledore's like uh he you know i think that Snape professor Snape had um had this idea in his head that if he saved your life then he could go back to hating your father's memory in peace and i think that that is like that's actually a really insightful thing to recognize about somebody um whether Snape realizes that about himself or not or like you know how who knows how conscious he was of feeling that way I think it totally makes sense um but that's really insightful about a person and that's a big again a big thing to say to especially an 11 year old and it doesn't really get explored very much because Harry's only 11 um And so I don't know how much they're necessarily going to do with that in the show, but there were quite a few because every conversation with Dumbledore has a lot of profound quotes and stuff. But there were quite a few just in this where I was like, that's like a big deal, actually, to to really think about somebody feeling that way, an adult feeling that way, that they're harboring this resentment towards somebody that they went to school with decades ago. And then they have a child And he's still harboring that resentment and taking it out on someone. And so he's thinking if he does, you know, if he like vindicates himself in this way and saves the kid, then he can he doesn't have to feel guilty about resenting that kid's father. Like that's a big that's a very complicated experience for somebody to have in their head and to recognize about somebody. And so I just hate that those sorts of quotes like that part of the conversation was taken out of the movie and he does know
0: i mean I, i agree like there is so much taken out of this conversation but dumbledore does know already his feelings for lily he might not know the extent he still currently feels for her until a later book but um he came snape came to dumbledore and asked him to save lily um so he also knows that whole extra layer of confusion Nate is probably feeling
2: yeah totally
1: I also think that well you you talked about this I'm just going through my highlights James but um you already touched on this about Dumbledore now became very interested in a bird on the windowsill which gave Harry time to dry his eyes on the sheet um you know again something that they cut from the film that I don't agree with them cutting it hopefully they just keep it in the show but there are so many times where Dumbledore and not just Dumbledore i think a lot of the adults in general in the film or in the uh in the stories recognize this with the kids but definitely with Dumbledore and Harry's relationship where Dumbledore just knows what Harry needs in that moment without you know they they don't need to communicate harry doesn't know how to communicate something like that to like that he's about to cry mm-hmm. to Dumbledore you know how do you say that to somebody when you're that age and um and Dumbledore just knows so he prote- he's he's interested in a bird outside of the window you know like things like yeah. that are really really sweet and that comes up a lot in the series and and knowing Dumbledore he probably conjured the bird
0: (laughs) probably
2: (laughs) okay I'm going to like submit this because as I was reading the book and as watching the clip today there were two things that made me like tear up and almost like basically bawl my eyes out so (laughs) this is this book is 20 years old and it still makes me feel feelings guys so uh the 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 part that made me cry was uh was one in the book and one in the film and the one in the film we'll get to later but the one in the book was this conversation between dumbledore and harry and then ending with the cherry on top of haggard giving uh, Harry, yeah. the book of his parents, and I just had to stop and just go keep it together, <laughs> keep it together. But yeah. it was just like I was just too that's that was just too emotional for me to just be like, oh my gosh, that's oh that hurts.
0: Yeah, and the fact that Hagrid had written to all these people to see what kind of photos they had of Lily and James, and that like just shows how much. Oh no, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> Um, how much he cares for him, and it brings us back to the beginning, the first chapter, when he's delivering Harry, and he's getting choked up. Um, again, just having those feelings for him and caring so much for this baby. Um, well, who's now eleven, but um, again, that they just cut from the films all of that emotional weight.
2: Well, I mean, there's a little bit of it in the movie. But we'll get to that in just a little bit. (laughs) That's way ahead of us.
1: Um, I also um, thought it was interesting that um, Dumbledore said, you did do the thing properly, didn't you? Um,
2: Yes, he found out that Harry knew about Nicholas Flamel and he was like, Oh, you really did your homework. Like, you guys really went into this, didn't you?
1: <laughs> so it, it makes me curious about, like, what did Dumbledore, well, obviously Dumbledore's being Puppet Master and he wants to give Harry a chance, which I do like that, you know, we kind of come full circle to all of these discussions that we've had, like, periodically, the three of us have had throughout this book as we've been talking about it um like how much does Dumbledore know how much is he kind of manipulating the role and whatever so I do like that it came full circle in this chapter where um where Harry's like I think that he wanted to um give me a chance to try to fight and so it makes me but then Dumbledore when he says things like this like oh you did do the thing properly didn't you like is he is he just saying that or does he genuinely not know if Harry knew about Nicholas Flamel? Like it just makes me think like if, if Dumbledore didn't know about Harry learning about Nicholas Flamel, what did he, what did he think that they did know? Like, how did they, how else would they like figure out, you know what I mean? How to get there. Yeah. Why was he in the chamber?
2: (laughs) Well, there, there's a couple of different ways I, I would look at it from my perspective in the sense that, there is uh, knowing that somebody knows something's wrong and like harry was really good at sensing something was off and he was trying to figure it out but then there's like the little details that are probably really hard to figure out like like they like you know eventually they discovered that they were protecting the sorcerer's stone but how many other people would know what the sorcerer's stone is or who it's from and like all this other stuff like so I take it as Dumbledore knew like the general premise of what was going on, but he took general interest in how detailed Harry and Braun and Hermione went into figuring out this mystery. Uh and which I which I mean Dumbledore's the only human. Like he, he's he's as human as the rest of us, so which I hope I mean he's all knowing, but like he's not <laughs> Uh, like he's not all powerful either like he's, he he does make mistakes and he he's not perfect mm-hmm. so he I would imagine that there is moments in his life where he gets generally surprised by people and he's just like oh that's wow you guys did this a little bit further than I expected like that's cool so I I feel like that's just him going that's how much you know you guys really went into this trying to figure this out instead of mm-hmm. just a oh someone's a bad guy and they start trying to steal the thing. Let's go after them kind of scenario.
0: I am so excited for this show and the potential it has. And I know that we say that all the time, but (laughs) I mean, just everything about Dumbledore and his history. And like, I went on a whole spiral when you said um, that he like makes mistakes and like he admits that he makes mistakes and You know, I I was like, that's the whole Grindelwald stuff, you know, and like, I'm like, oh, I just can't wait to see all of that because that's all cut from the films. A lot of that, a lot of that is cut from the films. And there's so much of Dumbledore's backstory that I can't wait to see played out. Yeah. Definitely. I agree.
2: And this was one of the things that I was like, oh, we look, we circled back into it just 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 Ron Harry and Hermione discussing like how much Dumbledore knew and how much he lay, like he let them kind of do their own thing. That was a really nice little closure to that subject that we had discussed mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. Cause I was just like, Whoa, that's cool. And the fact that we, the, the fact that this chapter is acting just like it's supposed to, like I really shouldn't be congratulating a chapter to close out its story loops because you expect it to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> the, I'm kind of happy that it would like, we delve into it a little bit and we get to explore some of these questions. And then at the end of the chapter, it all gets answered anyways. And so we're just like, oh, well, that was like a nice little completion arc to it. And it's just nice to have that.
0: Well, and speaking of Dumbledore and his personality and his quirks, I thought he was just so petty and show-offy to award these final Gryffindor points in the middle of the feast (laughs) after saying, oh yeah, Slytherins in first place, but...
1: You know, there's a few things. um, Let's, you know, make a big deal out of it. I completely Um, (laughs) agree. That has never sat well with me. I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, I think I don't... (laughs) I think what Dumbledore should have done is, like, awarded the points so that when everybody goes to the feast, they already know what's going on. But I think that... Okay, Harry, Ron, and Hermione say, like stopped voldemort from potentially getting this st- like obviously they did a huge brave wonderful thing so give them the points. so everybody knows that gryffindor is gonna win and then right. at the speech or at the feast in your speech acknowledge what they did but don't like then turn it into like they did this so ha 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 like i know yeah. exactly don't, I don't <laughs> and like, as much as good. i love
0: um Or no, as much as I hate Draco and Crab and Goyle, um, (laughs) like I felt so bad for them. Like just like the shot of them like just getting so disappointed after all those points and Slytherin loses. And like it nobody likes Slytherin in the Harry Potter world from Harry's perspective. Um, so it was like this huge awesome thing that Gryffindor actually won and Slytherin didn't for like the seventh year in a row or whatever it is. But um yeah, it was enough.
1: what bothers me about it is there are enough things to dislike Draco, Crab, and Goyle and various other Slytherin students for how they treat other students. Like, there are enough mm-hmm. legitimate reasons to dislike them or to fight back against them or whatever. You don't need to do something, you don't need to like come up with a reason to. Be like, haha, like, stick mm-hmm. it in your face. Like, there's they're gonna say something really mean to the students or, or whatever. You don't need to come up with things. So, I just yeah. don't like when there's like a fabricated reason to like get back at somebody when it's like they're, they're already doing things that yeah. you can get, even though you with. don't think Slytherins are real. Well, they're not. I mean,
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, though. I, it's an interesting take from your both both of your perspectives because I didn't get that at all to be honest
1: thank you for thinking I'm just, interesting. I, you're <laughs> you
2: are always interesting thank you but I'm just that's not the perspective I got out of it actually so you know I I'm just gonna throw myself out there and say that when I'm watching this and I'm reading this I actually don't think it's uh, I actually don't think of it as petty, which now that you guys bring it up, I'm kind of just like, oh, I could see why it could be considered petty and all that stuff. But I really just think based off of just the vibe uh, that the movie gives and just also the vibe that the books were giving that Slytherin was being very obnoxious Mm, because to have three houses celebrate the loss of one house as kind of extreme like an extreme reaction for just a little competition and like we see all of the three of them celebrating in the movie and then like in the books it describes that even the Ravenclaws and the Hufflepuffs are celebrating so mm-hmm. Slytherin must have been super obnoxious to have earned that ire from all the other three houses in my opinion and so I always saw it as Dumbledore taking the opportunity as being a professor and a teacher like he always is to just pull them down a few pegs and say, yes, you are being like, yes, you're super awesome, but you guys have finally earned the opportunity and we have a good reason, like valid reason. We have some students that earned some points. Let's uh, pull you down a few pegs and humble you a little bit. Which could yeah. be like, which could be considered petty. Which could be a petty move for an adult to do to a bunch of children. Which is why I find your insights very interesting. Like, but I never considered that. Go like as I'm watching or reading this. I always figured it as a lesson for Slytherins to learn not to be so obnoxious. Like you guys don't need to make everything a super competition that to prove that you're better than everybody else. Yeah. You won the, the house cup like for the last couple of years and the Quidditch cup for like so many years that doesn't give you the right to treat your fellow students. Like, like things. And that's like going to be a continue like pieces of crap. I'll say it. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I stopped myself, today, but I was like, and... "Why, why, why would I not say that?" So, anyways, <laughs> but like, it's a continuous thing for Slytherin to to actually recognize the contributions of their fellow house members, and it's like it's a it's a thing that happens consistently throughout the books, down to the fact that most of the Slytherins now redeem themselves and fight with their hog fellow houses during the Battle of Hogwarts. Like that shows a different, a huge change in character for just all of them, and so to me, that's where, that's where Dumbledore was coming from. That's how I always took it, and so that's just my perspective. But I really yeah, liked yours.
0: Really great, great point. point. Not, um, um, yeah, I imagine. mean, I was trying to throw a bone to our Slytherin listeners, but unfortunately, well, you're just non-existent, you. <laughs> obnoxious assholes. So <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Slytherins. <laughs>
2: There's a few good ones out there. I I know.
1: Yeah, if you're listening to this podcast, you're a good Slytherin. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't be a bad Slytherin listening to this one.
2: (laughs) Well, I'll just say when we get to Regulus Black, there there's a redeeming Slytherin right there.
0: Yes. Ah, another character cut from the films. Oh my gosh. I cannot wait to get to these later films because, you know, one, two, and three are pretty good adaptations for you know comparative to four five six and seven (laughs) and you know seven split in half for the eighth film but anyway um one one thing i did want to um note when we're talking about dumbledore uh, wording these points is um the neville of it all i mean james you have talked about this character um throughout our our conversations thus far Um, So I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say, but also the actor was just like seeing him recognize that he got these points and feeling like everybody's patting him on the back and he's like me, you know, and in the book, he's like, I'd never even gotten one point and now he got 10. (laughs) It was just so sweet to see this play out. And um, with that, James, take it away because I know you're going to have a lot to say.
2: I'm actually, I do have a lot to say, but I'm going to save it for, for the uh, last oh, Weasley
0: salute? <laughs> Okay, okay, we'll wait. Uh, Migs, do you have anything to say about that before we head on to the train and
1: head home? Yeah, or, you know, the feast. Uh, another thing that I think is interesting that, again, I don't know how much they're going to be able to do in the show with this, but I think somehow in some capacity it's worth exploring because I think it's really profound, but when Dumbledore and Harry are talking when Harry's in the hospital wing. Sorry, going back to that. um, Dumbledore says your father used it, the invisibility cloak, mainly for sneaking off to the kitchens to steal food when he was here. That's another thing that's like, that's a big deal for Harry to hear. He knows so little about his parents, especially, um, but just his family in general. And so, I mean, I would be like, oh my goodness, tell me like everything like, he would sneak off to go. Like I would want to know everything about like what he does or what he did when he was at school. And it, so, so one
0: of the um, like spinoff series I want now um, as the resident Hufflepuff and we live mm-hmm. by the kitchens. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see a relationship, not romantic relationship, but friendship yes, uh, between James and a Hufflepuff and like yes. going and sneaking off and getting food. I know he's one of the marauders, but um i'd love make- to see like a hufflepuff helping them sneak into the kitchens
1: yes and even if it's not the marauders but like i mean anybody like anything to do with that i mean i feel like there yeah. are probably so many kids throughout the many 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 years who have done that and so i think they can make like a whole little mini series about oh my god a house elf mini series obviously obviously
0: yes
2: well and we we forget that the order of the phoenix has a bunch of people that are the same age as james and lily and so those were all of their friends and Mm -hmm. so we, we we barely know anything about them so like i would I would totally delve into a series that would just explore the relationship of the older generation and see kind of how that goes and just introduce all these new characters that we've never met before and then love them and then, and then hate the writers for killing them off and all this other stuff. So,
0: yeah, you're right. Cause they are, they a lot of them do die in the first wizarding world or yeah. Yeah, man.
2: You know, it'd be a very unpredictable series that I would just get into really well because, like, yeah. I wouldn't know what's going to happen, and I would get right. attached to like a character, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> dead, and I'm just
1: like, no. Well, I think that that's that's like the fun of a show like that is like they could do anything with it because there's so much that can be opened up. That's like, been because unsaid yeah. that much yeah. about them, yeah. So oh, okay, yeah. all right, stop. I can't I can't bring myself to just say Max HBO Max needs to hire us yeah as producers got all the ideas yeah we do we have all of them yeah nobody else has any um (laughs) okay I like this happens a lot throughout the series this type of statement um and I like when Dumbledore says when he's telling Harry about like kind of briefing him a little bit on what happened. And then he said, however, I shall answer your questions unless I have a very good reason not to. And I love how candid Dumbledore is. I mean, also he also, he, you know, he's a puppet master and like doesn't disclose the full truth and stuff. So there's plenty of arguments that you could make about how Dumbledore is not always like a hundred percent candid, but for the purpose of what, of what I'm saying, you know what I mean? Where there are so many times, like, how many times does somebody say, like, I'll answer your questions, unless I have a good reason not to, then I'm not going to, you know, to me, that's like, that's humorous, like how candid and open he is, and just comfortable and confident. Obviously, he's confident, he's the greatest wizard of all time. But like, he's just confident in himself to say, no, I might not answer your question, because I have a good reason not to. And I don't even, I'm not even going to tell you the reason, but I know if that's going to be good for you or not. And So he doesn't do it. Dumbledore, it's very easy to argue that Dumbledore is arrogant. And I think Dumbledore would be the first person to say that he has arrogance in him. But the way that he says these candid things in these types of conversations that he has with Harry throughout the whole series, it doesn't come from a place of arrogance. It's just from him being candid. And it's refreshing to see a character like that. And so anyways, I just wanted to point that out. Any thoughts? No? No? Um,
0: well Dumbledore oh okay go <laughs> <laughs> I
2: I just Dumbledore. wanted to make the snide comment of I like I just wanted to make the snide comment of how that comment is probably going to get on a, on a few people's nerves because just of how polarizing Dumbledore's character is A lot of oh, some yeah. people just don't like Dumbledore mm-hmm. for the very reasons that you just said but I just think that's just interesting like the difference is like how how somebody does something in in and like the name of good but like also is really harmful to some sometimes and so you're just kind of like it It he's a real like he's a, the embodiment of a great character that is not entirely good because he does some bad things for good reasons but he's still doing bad things and so it, he's like not completely good but he's also just not bad he's in the middle, which is like what a lot of us are. There are probably a lot of us that would do what Dumbledore did. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: You mentioned that Dumbledore was polarizing and another character that's pretty polarizing is Snape. And it's just another reason why I'm so excited for this show because of all the, like to see that and to see why it's so polarizing and to get a whole new generation of, Um, debates going about Dumbledore and is he good or is he bad and Snape and is he good and is he bad and like it's just such a good they're just such good characters and I'm just I'm just excited
1: (laughs) me too
2: they're very complex characters and they deserve a complex story
0: which is just going to make the show so good like when you have characters like that that's what makes a good show and to have characters that people hate but and then some people love um you know, that's, that's just, oh,
1: that just makes a good show. Well, and that's what makes a good, like, storyline as a whole. And I yeah. mean, I look at Marvel like this, too, because listeners of the Zero First episode, we're all Marvel fans. Um, There are, like, all of those characters are very complex. And I think Marvel does a good job in general of having really complicated villains, too, where it's not, I mean yes they are they have evil motives and like they they're not like good people or good creatures or beings but um you can understand where they're coming from with a lot of what they're arguing for and then the good characters do not good things and I think that Marvel is another good example and I think Harry Potter is a good example of having characters where they're very complicated and they are not one side or the other they are not a hundred percent of the time good or bad they're very just it's almost as if humans in general are not black and white and we can't you know we're not a hundred percent good or a hundred percent bad we're complicated and um so I like to see that in in the characters so that being said um my example of Dumbledore being candid obviously was a poor example because it just made me into a chaos monster making people be like Divisive on whether or not Dumbledore um, is good or bad, or whether they agree with him in this context. But the the I, I like the refreshing like openness and honesty, and not bluntness. I feel like blunt is has a bad you know connotation but just I just like how he says a lot of things where he's just like mm, this is I'm just gonna say this a lot of people kind of hide how they're really feeling about a situation or they like sugarcoat or gloss over something because they're like trying to make sure that they don't ever offend anyone and Dumbledore is like comfortable with just like saying he knows it might be somebody might disagree with him when he says something but he he's says it because that's how he feels
0: and I like that right And I think that just gives credence to their relationship again, the relationship that Harry and Dumbledore are going to development, being that honest with each other.
2: You said that, meeks and I was like, oh, like Leonard does with Penny from the Big Bang Theory. (laughs) He always sugarcoats his feelings. He's like never really like saying what he wants. And I'm just like, Leonard, get a grip. Just say it
1: i think i always think it's refreshing when when a character or person is um is like that not in a way where they say whatever they feel like saying who cares if anybody gets hurt but just in a way where they're they're just like you know not yeah. sugarcoating stuff all the time so i like that um another thing that i have is um hagrid when he sees harry and he bursts into tears and all of that i love the interaction that hagrid and harry have before um or when Harry, uh, when Harry's still in the hospital wing. And when Hagrid said, and he says stuff like this multiple times, but he said, of course, he, Dumbledore should have sacked me instead of giving Hagrid the day off so that he could give Harry the book. And uh, the photo album. And I think that I, I really want to see in the show them keep in lines like that because that's so typical of the book version of Hagrid to say, to like be down on himself. And to because a lot of people around him look down on him and think that he's not as valuable as he is. And we've talked about this on the podcast, about how Hagrid does have a lot more value than how many people do see him and often how he views himself. But Hagrid's also still even though he, he says things like, Oh, Dumbledore should have sacked me for because he thinks it's his fault that Harry, Ron and Hermione went down the trap door and all of that you know so he's like looking down on himself and he he wants to like take the fall if he deserves it but hagrid is still so comfortable with who he is as a person and that is just really like wonderful to see that because he's because he's outcasted in a lot of ways and so i i think that i don't dislike the the adaptation of hagrid but once again i feel like his character is flatter than he could have been and i hope in the show they go into more Detail or show more of this, like Hagrid feeling down on himself. Like he feels really guilty in this situation. And, um, we just kind of miss that in the film a lot of times throughout this, not even just this film, I think throughout the whole series. Love it. Uh, also a stoat sandwich is mentioned.
0: Yeah. So we, um, in a previous episode, we had wondered what stoat is. And before this episode, because, um, we – I don't think that episode has actually aired by the time we were recording this one, so we haven't heard back from our British correspondent yet. Um, now, Karen, if you're listening, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I looked up a <laughs> – what a stoat is, and it's kind of like a ferret, like an animal, like a cute little ferret animal.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so it's kind of sad. Yeah, we were not pleased to learn this. <laughs> <laughs> um now, one um, comment I saw, I, I pulled up like a Reddit post um, that pulled up on the Google search and somebody had commented on how it's like a rat's stew. So he's just talking about Hagrid's ruggedness. Um, but yeah, a, a, a stout is is too cute to chop up into a sandwich. Yeah, not,
1: not a fan of that revelation at all. Um, where were we at before it completely derailed us? For a very long time, were we at the feast? We or? were,
2: we were at the feast, but we were moving into the end thing. But then we asked yeah, you if you had any other ideas. Yeah,
1: that was dangerous. We you... did our light, we're, our Meeg's lightning round a little early this yeah, time around. Well, I haven't gone all the way through my lightning round. That's why I'm making sure that I can get back on track to be on topic. Um, I do have one thing about the feast. It's a quick thing. There's when J.K. Rowling is writing about like some of the conversation that's happening. And they say, one of the kids says, I can't remember who it is. I don't think it's actually named. They say that, oh, or maybe it was Percy when Ron got the um, points for the chess game. Either Percy or somebody says that Ron got past McGonagall's giant chess set. Okay, how that was does Percy. Any- Okay, how does anybody know that that happened did, if it was I'm posted, sure the rumor mill has gone like around. the rumor mill so, has started by Ron and Hermione because they were these that new.
2: That's why it's my favorite quote in the book and the movie. What happened between you and Professor Quirrell was naturally a secret. So naturally the whole school knows. Like yeah. It's someone spread the rumors, but the rumors just spread like wildfire in Hogwarts. So, everyone's going to know about it. So, all these crazy well, stories are going to happen anyways.
0: And the walls literally talk at Hogwarts. So, you know. <laughs> I guess-
2: yeah. Once a painting hears something that's juicy gossip yeah. that all yeah, the school knows. Okay. Like, all of the paintings are going to talk about it. They're going to talk to the students. They're all going to, like, it's going to, it just goes everywhere. So, it goes One little McGonagall may have like made one little comment saying, man, that Weasley kid knows how to beat me at chess. And one of the pictures probably was like, Oh, that's interesting. Let me share that with the fat lady. And then it just spirals out of control.
1: Oh my goodness, James. I want a mini series of you being in the portraits. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I feel better thinking about the ghosts and the portraits talking. That makes more sense to me. You ready for the train now, Meeks? <laughs> Choo-choo!
0: I think I am okay. Let's board the Hogwarts Express because um, once we're back on the platform, like the, none of this was in the film. Um, you know, they just leave Hogwarts, and then that's the end of the movie. And I'm really sad because I want to see Mrs. Weasley, I want to see the Dursleys again, I want to see yeah. Dudley cowering in fear.
2: I can understand why we would want to see that because that would be a hilarious like that that fits within the paradigm of the TV show we've all been creating in our heads but at the same time I really do appreciate the ending of the mm-hmm. movie like mm-hmm. it ended on a really nice note it was cute it was Harry's realization emotional. that we it was, it was emotional and that's the second time I cried was <laughs> watching that part uh, and it was yeah. only emotional because it was just it was Harry receiving the book from Hagrid, but also just Harry realizing like he has a home now and Hogwarts is his home., oh, yeah. and oh he God, doesn't right. he doesn't get to like we don't get to explore that a little bit in the book as much as we love the book. Um, so I feel I feel like that was a good choice uh, on the movie part to end the movie that way. But when you're doing the TV show, obviously, I would love to see us returning back to the state to crinks cross station and being able to do that.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that we can sort of combine that emotion from the film and still get some of that stuff from the book. Um, because you can just take that line basically where he's like, I'm not going home. Not really. And have that kind of inserted after Hermione sees the interaction between the Dursleys and Harry. And she's like, wow, have fun. Um, and then that's when he can kind of say some sort of instead of being funny and saying, "Well, they don't know I can't use magic." Um,
2: Actually, can have
0: an emotional exchange there. It's instead. Funny
2: you bring that up because I was going to like tell you my version of how this season is going to end, like the okay, exact. Well, well, do you
0: time. wait? Do you want to wait until the actual episode where we talk about the breakdown?
2: No, because it's too good. Okay. <laughs> i literally just like thought about this i was just it made me smile and so like we get the like we get the storybook ending and harry comes in he meets mrs weasley and he thanks her and it's just like this cute little moment because jenny's like oh it's harry potter and so like we get all that and then we meet the dursleys and you're just like whoa like (laughs) they're not happy he's back uh, and you, you kind of get that weird like interaction because this is the first time Hermione and Ron get to meet the Dursleys and I'm sure Harry's talked to, to about like I'm sure Harry's mentioned them to them and they're just like, oh, I get it now. Uh, And like have that be that little awkward conversation. But then like they go their separate ways and the music starts playing. But then like Harry tells Ron and Hermione, like, oh, I'll be fine. They don't know that I can use magic yet. And that's like our nice last little comic laugh. And they, we see them part their ways and the music starting. And it's the classic Harry Potter music. And it's all getting us all emotional. And then we zoom in on Harry's face in the car as they're driving away from the station and we see the Dursleys fighting and maybe Dudley's like scared out of his pants and he's just like trying to stay away from Harry but then Vernon and Petunia are kind of just like all grumpy but then we zoom in on Harry's face and we see him smile and go hmm I've had a great year that just ended right there that would be the perfect ending I would I love that idea And I'm going to be super disappointed if they don't do it, which they probably won't. But you know what I mean?
0: It is going to be like, because as much as I want to see the um, platform scene, the movie did have a really great ending. So it will be interesting to see how they redo this, this portion and how they do have that emotional. Because at the end of the day, they need to leave us wanting more to come back for season two.
2: Yeah, which is why I feel like my ending is like really good because like it shows that Harry is going to enjoy his summer and that he's going to have fun torturing his like torturing his family, <laughs> but like also that he just had a good time and for the first time, for the first time ever, he would have actually been genuinely happy in the presence of the Dursleys, because that's how much an effect of Hogwarts had on him to the point that the Dursleys don't affect him anymore like they used to because it brings us back to that full circle. Like we experience the Dursleys. We experience like the beginning of the first part of the season is us experiencing the terribleness of the Dursleys and how miserable Harry was. He goes to this place. It's awesome. But then he has to come back, but he's happy coming back because of what happened at Hogwarts and who the people he met and how much his life has changed. And, he that's sm- to me that smile would represent just how much Harry ha- Harry has come from the beginning of the year to that point because not even the Dursleys' pes pes pessimism is going to bring him down now, which also sets up the emotional trauma for uh, uh, season two, which I won't get into that now. You guys have to wait for that.
0: <laughs> um would you guys want to see some sort of like end credit scene that marvel is so known for um kind of teasing book too whether that's you know dobby mm-hmm. with um the malfoys or yeah the diary or something like that yes
1: definitely why not
2: I would yeah, like I to. Yeah, I, I would like. Credit. I would like an end credit scene, kind of delving into like the diary a little bit. That would be that would get some people's interest because like we don't really get to explore how Lucius got his hands on the diary. So it'd be kind of interesting for him, like just us to see this random dude, like maybe not yeah. see his face, but like s- like tell it's like blondish hair and he's just kind of like walking through like an old vault or something, picks up this book and is just kind of like huh and then that's it like you know like who is this guy and what is this book and what's going on and then yeah. boom season two
0: and it's just the initials right or are there? Is tom's initials on the diary
2: maybe i don't know i'd have to figure okay. it
0: out wow well, that would be fun I we'll find um, out yeah i like that yeah i know yeah i guess we're gonna find out in a few weeks um so, with that said, Meeks, do you have any more lightning round? Yes.
1: Um, I, and I'll start with the train stuff um, because we were just talking about that. So, um, I want to see. So, it's written that they speed past muggle towns. I want to see. I don't know what I exactly want to see or, like, what format it should be. But I want to see more information or something about the muggle towns that they pass through the Hogwarts Express. Like, where... I don't know. I just feel like that would be interesting to see more, I don't know, like a quick, maybe that could be something that's like a not full mini series. I don't know what's in my head yet. I'll have to like um, think about it for a while, put on my producer hat and think about what I want to see. But I just think that that's interesting. Anytime that there's some sort of connection between the wizarding world and the muggle world, I like want to see it explored more even if it's something really small like that. So... That just interested me um and then uh the miniseries could be like the part of the ministry
0: that manages the secrecy of the wizarding world and the muggles yes. and like how they had to keep going into the muggle world and like um obliviating the memories of the muggles because they saw something or stuff like that
1: well because or relations i can't remember if they talk about it this in the books or films or fantastic beasts or like any of the the spinoffs i guess from the main harry potter series can muggles see the hogwarts express i don't know if they've ever talked about
2: it no
1: So is it magic because there
2: was there was I don't know where I got this information. So (laughs) take it with a grain of salt. But there was when they when they took the train, they had to do a very powerful like they had to do a very powerful I forget what the name of the spell is. Oh, I
0: remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had to do a very
2: powerful spell in order to like make it Make it so that nobody remembered the train, but then also make it so that nobody remembered the the railroad being built because the railroad had to be built, and so a lot of people were there, like there, or probably, maybe even helped build the railroad and not know what it was was for. And then the Ministry of Magic just did a complete whiteout of everybody's memories and like all the records and all this other stuff. And so it was like extreme, it was an extreme bit of powerful magic in order to just hide the Hogwarts express from the world.
1: Um, I don't remember
2: where I got that from though. (laughs)
1: Um, And along with that, the countryside becomes greener and tidier. I'm sure that somebody knows about like what the relative location is like the actual physical location in the UK where Hogwarts is and stuff. But, you know, just, I always assumed
2: it was in Scotland.
1: Okay. Cause I even think that that's that's interesting. Like what the landscape looks like, um, where they're going. Cause they, they, you know, do shots here and there of the Hogwarts express, but it's like a quick, you know, few seconds. And so I think even just like watching the whole landscape change would be, I think that'd be interesting, but I like things like that. Um, definitely want to see um I don't know again I don't know exactly what format they would do I don't know if they would do like the real show and then they have like the funny version of the show where it's like almost like a what if version of the series where um it's okay so it says in the books that they have that there's a um, doctor a person I forget the name for it working on the train station platform to make sure that only two or three Hogwarts students are at a time so that they don't attract attention by all bursting out of a solid wall at once and alarming the muggles. I want to see what if they all do that and the chaos that happens seeing what like 400 students or something like just burst through the wall. Like I definitely want to see what that would all look like. Um, And then when Dumbledore was talking with Harry about um, the Flamels dying because they uh, destroyed the uh, Sorcerer's Stone. And he said that they have enough elixir stored. I really want to see what that looks like. What does the elixir look like? Is it stored in a little, you know, like a potions bottle type of vial? Like, how is that stored? I want to see that level of detail. Which they don't even give that in the book. So I don't know what they're going to do in the show, if anything. But if anyone who produces the show is listening, I want to see it. Um, I love the... We talked about the full circle moment where Harry says that he's glad that Dumbledore gives him the option to fight. Or not that he's glad, but he thinks that Dumbledore was giving him the opportunity to fight Quirrell. Um, and be- right before that, Hermione gets upset like if Dumbledore did know then that's terrible you could have been killed and so I love that Hermione is voicing what we are all thinking which is professors you are incredibly irresponsible and dangerous (laughs) with all of these students and so I just um love that that's like a full circle moment that Hermione recognizes that um and I want to see when Harry is giving Ron and Hermione the explanation of what happened when Harry met Quirrell and he he says that Ron and Hermione were uh, were a very good audience and they gasped at the right times and Hermione screamed when he said that Voldemort was attached to um, Quirrell's head like I want to see that conversation I think that's really cute and um, again like world building and character building so I want to see that Um, and then I also want to see Hermione crying when she gets the points for um at the the feast even though we talked about how we wish the Dumbledore didn't do the petty thing but if he is going to do that I want to see Hermione crying at that and then Ron looking like a burnt radish as he yes <laughs> as <laughs> that he stuck out to me as well yes Um I, I love that I love that description I think that's so funny and um Okay, at one point, Dumbledore says, and I must trouble you with an old man's wheezing waffle before we sink our teeth into our delicious feast. I do not remember him saying wheezing waffle, and that is one of the funniest things I've ever read. And I can't believe that that's just like a side quote that's thrown in there, because I think I'm going to use wheezing waffle all the time in my life. And we've talked so much about the quirkiness of Dumbledore (laughs) that you don't get in the films. yes. I need more. I need more quirky Dumbledore. Quirky Dumbledore. Yes, thank you. I'm glad that we're all on the same page with that. Um, Definitely. And um, I love. Okay, so these next few things are what we see throughout the rest of the series, and I love that it's introduced so early on. And I think that they're like they're short quotes, but they mean a lot because of like how it kind of develops throughout the series. So the first one is when. Hagrid is crying to Harry which I love how much Hagrid cries by the way and he's like you know he feels guilty because he told them how to get past Fluffy and he says you could have died and don't say the name because Harry kept saying Voldemort and then Harry bellows Voldemort and Hagrid was so shocked mm-hmm. he crying and that's I mean again that's like kind of a throwaway line almost it's like funny but that happens so much throughout the whole rest of the series where Harry's like he gets so frustrated with like ron especially because ron's really dramatic about yeah. who um and he's like holding people accountable he's like stop being so afraid of it and so it's we see it here in the first
2: book. well and that's because dumbledore gave him permission to not yeah. be afraid of it dumbledore was like don't be afraid of the name harry and harry's like oh yay, i have permission to say it now because mm. harry harry was going oh yeah like i like need to say you know who because nobody likes that that was mm-hmm. his like it was that was the programming that everybody had begun to start putting into him and he's finally like he had finally started to start doing it but then dumbledore was like don't do that harry just save voldemort and yeah. so harry was like oh yeah i've been given permission to like say the name so
1: agreed yeah i really like it because again i think it means a lot more like you said like it's about dumbledore's permission so I like it. Um, and then I also like that um, Harry keeps saying Snape and Dumbledore keeps correcting him saying Professor Snape yeah. because of that. And then Harry's like, yes, him. And then just continues on with what he was saying. Yeah,
0: and that whole thing that like, continues throughout, he never prefer- refers
1: to Snape as Professor Snape. Right. Exactly. Love that little bit of forecasting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then, but as Ron sa- oh, okay, so when... Um, Oh shoot, I can't remember what it is and I would just want to be quick and get through this as a lightning round, but Ron says you can't have everything in life um when it was like Draco uh oh oh yeah <laughs> oil uh, that goyle passes his with you know he like passes to go to the next year and so ron says you can't have everything in life and i i just love that because again it's like ron has such a um just like a funny way of like saying like big dramatic statements like that and he does that throughout the whole series and so he starts out really young at having that kind of adult humor and being able to make those sorts of jokes so i love that and um okay i think that that's i think that that's all for my stuff my lightning round all right, so let's get into our peeves,
0: pleasure. James, will you start us off, please?
2: Mine is the ending of the movie. Uh, mm. I think that was a really like well done thing. And this like this section of of film that I watched for this specific chapter, that part always gets me. It made me cry. Uh, mm. like it just is. It's just a nice ending and then for the adaptation as much as like we, we have all of the stuff that we wanted to be in the film, what they did give was, it was just a Mm -hmm. nice little bow on top of everything that they did give us. So I, I really enjoyed it. I really feel like that was a good choice director wise, like a really good choice, like production wise, like to have that be the ending of the movie. Cause, um, for what they yeah. did in a movie. I th- really feel like that, that really worked really well. So that I really love that. And that's still one of my favorite things and makes me happy inside. And the music from John Williams is just so good.
0: Yes.
2: I just, I love the Hogwarts train going away and just the high notes that are playing with the orchestra. And it's just like, it makes my heart melt a little bit like, butter, <laughs> I'm just like, Oh, yes. but uh yeah that's my piece. pleasure is essentially that part of the movie
1: yep makes um i love the um i don't love the whole adaptation for the sorcerer's stone um quarrel voldemort like i don't love that entire scene adaptation but i do like how they did um harry getting the stone in his pocket i think that the way that they did that um they did yeah with it in the film Agreed, I
0: put down I talked about this earlier, but I really appreciated um Matthew Lewis's acting in the feast scene where he gets awarded his ten points. I just think so he did a good cool. job of um oh, yeah. yeah acting like just so surprised and honored that he got those ten points, so that was my pleasure. Um, Moving on to our Peeves Peeves, James.
2: My Peeves Peeve is that Voldemort has a nose. (laughs) Okay. That was just poor choices. Like, really? You just, you had to, like, it's expressively stated he didn't have a nose. He had two slits for a nose. How can you mess that up? Like, goodness gracious. It's going to bug me for the rest of my life now, so.
1: Yeah. I think many people are annoyed with that adaptation because it was it was very explicit what he was supposed to look like. And so Right <laughs> Yeah. Um
2: so my piece peeves has Voldemort has a nose. He shouldn't have one. So
1: I remember I absolutely despised how they did the adaptation for Voldemort in the first film, but I remember when we first see Ralph Fines Fines, right? You say Fine. It that's how you pronounce yep. it. Um And I was like, okay, not exactly what I was thinking. Like at first I was kind of like, what are they going to do? It was kind of nerve wracking how they were like showing him, but I love it. I think they did such a good job with that. So Mm -hmm. Um, my peeve is the Dumbledore conversation adaptation in the film, because I, I feel, I feel kind of bad saying that because I think that, um, I do like the actor that they chose. I think that Richard Harris, right? I think that yeah. they I think he did a wonderful job. He looks like the quintessential like old wizard, you know, and I think that he I think it's not that he did a bad job or anything like that. I just think that they, you know, took out a lot of the conversation that they should have left in.
2: Definitely. Agreed.
1: My
0: peeves is basically the inconsistent magic. And I know that there's like a lot of complaints about how she writes, like the rules of magic. But that's not even talking about right now. Um, kind of just like how magic is displayed throughout the film and the and the the seven um, after. Um, And again, like, listeners, you've heard me say this over and over. I'm just so excited for the movie to have some consistency. I can't remember the specific moment that made me write this down, but I think it's when Dumbledore changes the flags in the Great Hall from Slytherin to Gryffindor, and he just, like, waves his hands and, like, no, you got to use your wand, sir. So – um Um, what about
2: quirl what about quirl just snapping his fingers and a whole bunch of fire just comes out yes and
0: then um i think at first too when he threw out his hand that i mentioned earlier i thought he was gonna like bring him like like pull him towards him like invisible rope and that didn't happen but Mm -hmm. that kind of thing i just want to see some consistency in the across the seasons as well as comparing it to the book just some consistency in the way magic is displayed
1: mhm agreed i also this isn't the exact same thing but i also really don't like in that scene um the uh voldemort quarrel that whole scene how like when voldemort or when quarrel crumbles because that wasn't even what it was in the book his face his skin blisters when harry touches him but I get them needing to make him like crumble into like stone or whatever. I get that that makes it more oh, dramatic. Than the smoke monster? Wait, <laughs> okay, that's what I was going to say. I already didn't like that. And then when the smoke monster thing, I rolled my eyes so hard, like as yes. a 10 year old or what, a nine year old. I was like, are you joking? Why would they? Yes. I did not appreciate
0: that i i I get that they had to have kind of like a visual representation of voldemort's spirit leaving but yeah it was pretty silly i
1: feel like well okay so i feel like that i hated it but i feel like that visual representation makes more sense with how they chose to stylize voldemort in this book whereas in the later books and then the film adaptations from them voldemort is much more sleek i guess you know like the way his spirit and all of that like it's more um it's just more subtle and more like haunting so i think that they they ended up changing the tune from the first film in a good way but i still think it was dumb the way that they did that adaptation
0: yeah the smoke monster was silly i agree (laughs) so silly well let's move on to some more positive (laughs) and talk about our salutes who are you saluting or what or when (laughs)
2: Weasley salute. Am I first?
0: Yes. Oh, sorry. Sorry. The order Uh, has never changed, James.
2: (laughs) Sometimes it has. I will say that. Um, My Weasley salute is a surprise, surprise. It's going to be Neville. <laughs> um, so I told you that it was going to be at the end. So it's, it's at the end. so, uh, so here you go, listeners, your, your long awaited patience has been rewarded. Uh, Neville's story I have talked about in great detail in the past things. And so... I just want to salute first of all the adaptation, the actor, the, all of that was done really mm-hmm. well. I feel like Matthew Lewis portrayed like he's a great choice for for Neville Longbottom from the very beginning. He portrayed Neville really well. But mm-hmm. I just want to salute the character arc because now we get the the finalization. And so listeners if you haven't listened to the other episodes where i talk about this you need to go back and listen to it because i'm not going to explain it all again but you you gotta understand that the movie cut out neville's arc and that made it very you know made it very flat and so it's kind of just like this random like in the movie it's kind of just this random kid gets 10 points and like that's cool but like Why are we celebrating that? Like, why is that important? But in the book, it comes full circle because it mentioned things like how Neville never even won one house point. Like, he never earned any house points at all. And so it goes back to his feelings of feeling down upon himself and beating himself up and not having any purpose and and feeling like he messes things up all the time and you really feel for the guy but then for the first time ever the dude gets tackled by all of these kids and is just bombarded with hugs and cheers and and everything because neville it's not harry hermione and ron harry hermione, and hermione ron earned lots of points and they did a really cool thing but it was neville that won the house cup And Neville's and it's because of Neville and the thing that he did that made it so that they won the house cap. And so for the first time, Neville actually did something worthwhile and neville actually did something that other people appreciate and he's not the bumbling buffoon anymore or the Mm. the person that messes things up anymore or the guy who doesn't know what he's doing even though he's a pure blood wizard kind of scenario he is the guy who won the house cup and he's he's a brave one who stood up to even his friends when he was when he was supposed to because it was the right thing to do and so now he has a sense of self-worth and that's gonna help define his character moving forward which we don't get a lot in the next couple of films uh his bumbling buffoonness continues in movie two which is one of my one of my peeves going into the film the sneak peek here you go listeners is is that neville isn't progressed from point a to point b he's still the comedic relief in the movie uh there is a there is eventually down the road matthew lewis and, and the directors decided to give neville his growth back and he actually becomes prominent in the films again but in the book it starts from the end of book one into the rest of the series like book two you see some significant progress in neville's confidence and that's what i have to salute here is is the is the end of a great character arc but the beginning of a great story for neville Mm.
1: Mm -hmm. it's a good way to put it yeah meeks what are we saluting tonight my salute is the vulnerability from a lot of people in this chapter um and uh I think obviously that comes just like from the ending of this story but um i still think it you know i just like it um like harry couldn't speak but hagrid understood when hagrid gave him the photo album Um, and and Harry was like getting emotional and um, Hagrid took one look at Harry and burst into tears and um, Hermione cries about the house points and then the touching conversation between Dumbledore and Harry like there's just so many times where there's vulnerability showing and um, from you know any gender and I just really really like seeing that and it's not like it's not written in a way where it's like a big deal it's just they felt like crying or they felt like getting emotional so they did Mm -hmm. and then they needed to do that. And then they moved on. And so it's like, you know, it's normal. Yeah. Um, I'm
0: saluting Dumbledore, um, for many reasons we've already talked about, but, um, you know, it just, this last chapter really establishes that relationship between Harry and himself and foreshadows a lot of that brutal honesty that we're going to get Um, through past his death. So um, it was just really nice to see this conversation with him and Harry and um, just kind of see that start to develop. Definitely. Now, before we sign off, I do want to ask you guys one question. Um, Listeners, we are going to have a few fun episodes before we Dive into book number two.
2: That means you but, gotta wait.
0: <laughs> Just a few. Um, but James and Meegs, uh, what are you looking forward to most talking about book two? Uh, I
2: didn't about them, so this is
0: putting them on the spot
2: right now <laughs> yeah no most definitely it's putting me on the spot how dare you uh so my fa- my f- favorite thing going forward is is probably just the exploration of additional characters mm-hmm. that we we kind that kind of get the the blunt end of the stick in the movies like dobby is one of my favorites mm-hmm. um and uh dobby is definitely going to be one of my favorite parts to talk about um but also just in like lucius malfoy my goodness like mm-hmm. he is awesome and i love the actor who plays him but mm-hmm. i like the in the book lucius malfoy is so much more cunning and like oh my goodness he is a great villain in this story that Harry yeah. gets to confront and all that stuff. And so just exploring the the, the, the extra characters we get to see. And, and I love how J.K. Rowling doesn't overload us with so many characters. Like she introduces very key characters continue, consistently that come back later and we get to explore like their growth and stuff. And so like I really love the new additions that we're going to be getting down the road. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Meeks? Um, I am really excited to discuss, um, well, to revisit and then discuss more about Voldemort because, you know, it's been a long time. I don't know how long, but it's been a while since I've um, reread The Chamber of Secrets. And so um, I feel like each time I read any of these books, there's like little things that I missed, you know, or things that I didn't remember or whatever. And so I think it'll be really fun to like find all these things where I'm like, oh, yeah, like that was total right. foreshadowing or whatever.
0: Yeah, I I am very excited to talk about Dobby and the role that Dobby has to play. And um, that is – Dobby is my absolutely favorite character. Um, so I'm, I'm really – I'm so excited to see him in the show again and just – oh, can't wait. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> on that note, thank you so much for causing havoc with us today. Next time, we will be recapping what we have read and watched with a special guest. Um, But we won't give you those details quite yet. James, where can we find you?
2: Uh, Go to James M. Beltran on Instagram or TikTok, and you'll find what I do over there.
1: (laughs) Meeks. You can find me mainly on Instagram at Megan, M-E-G-A-N underscore Lachowski, L-A-C-H-O-W-S-K-I. And from there, you can find all of my other projects. And you
0: can find me, Sarah Day, on Instagram at Captain.McDee. That's M-C-D-E-E. And just like Megs, you can find my other projects linked over there. Please leave us a five-star review if you're as mischievous as we are. You know what? Even if you're not mischievous, leave us a five-star review, please. <laughs> it helps other listeners find our podcast. If you have any feedback for us, we love to get feedback from you. We have a voicemail. You can call in 409-422-3378. That's 409 Gabfest. Or you can email us at peevesgabfest at gmail.com. Also, join the discussion over on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Gap Fest. And you can follow Peeves's Gapfest on Instagram and TikTok at Peeves' Gap Fest. Until next time, Ickle firsties.
2: Mischief managed. It's Quidditch season, and planning for faster, efficient hydration is essential. We don't want anyone falling off their brooms from dehydration.
0: Liquid IV has you covered while you prep during wood speeches, power through the game, and recover in the common room afterwards.
1: Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone with three times the electrolytes of traditional potions.
0: I have tried the Grape... The sea berry and the cherry. And I would say sea berry and cherry are my absolute favorite.
2: I'll have to try the cherry. I haven't tried that one yet. I was kind of like hoping that was like the best one. So I'm saving it for last. Because <laughs> compared to lemon lime, I was like, I'm not sure if like that would be like a disappointment or something. So I'm hoping it's really good because it's the last it one. It
0: is really good. And <laughs> I like how like saturated the flavor is
1: of liquid IV. Mm-hmm. Doesn't feel it's, all watery. It's right. It's very
2: strong. Like the grape one was a really like powerful, like just flavor profile in like a big cup of water. Like I had, I think it was like 40 ounce bottle And it didn't feel like diluted or watery at all. It just was like flavor, bam. Like, whoa.
0: Yes, I agree. And I love a good flavorful water.
1: Yes, I do too. Well, and it's nice if something's really flavor packed, you know, just as is, because then you can always water it down per your taste rather than you having to like use double of the concentrate or something. Exactly.
2: Well, one stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than any other potion and comes in 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting.
1: Made with premium ingredients and contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. Liquid IV is non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy.
0: Liquid IV believes that equitable access to clean and abundant water is the foundation of a healthier world and has partnered with leading organizations for innovative solutions to help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in 50 plus countries around the world.
2: Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code GABFEST to at checkout. That's
1: 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code GABFEST at liquidiv.com.